0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and how it's applied. Today's episode is part three of a multi-part series dealing with non-metallic sheath cable, Article 334 of the National Electrical Code. Well, we left off in part one and part two series where we talked about the uses permitted and uses not permitted for non metallic sheath cable. And we also went into when you're running it exposed because the code says that you can run non metallic sheath cable exposed or concealed. But when you do run it exposed, you have to be. Uh, really cautious about the subject to physical damage that can take place on this type of product. So we had some rules that we had to follow, the type of raceways we could sleeve it in, type of tubing we could sleeve it in that would protect it from physical damage. We talked about, as it penetrates the floor, how it has to be protected up to six inches as it goes through the floor to protect it from anything damaging it as the NM cable goes through the floor. We talked about pre- how we protect it when we're in accessible attics, Uh, We also talked about the bending radius and how that you want to make sure that that interior edge of that bend from the point where it starts and ends has to maintain at least five times the diameter of the cable itself. So it's simple to do. You measure the, the long dimension of the cable times five, and you have to at least have that bend from the start to the end. On the inner has to measure that length because you don't want to bend it tighter than that because you could damage the conductor. So we've kind of gone through all of those things. I encourage you to go back and listen to part one and part two of this series to get a better understanding of non-metallic sheath cable. But now we're going to move on to one of the critical areas where people tend to forget and, and that is the securing and supporting requirements. So let's talk about that in today's episode. We're at 334.30. Now, before I get too started, I want to make sure you know that we're on the 2014 edition of the National Electrical Code. Uh, you can use the 2011. It's not a problem. But we're using the most latest edition that's been published. Okay. Now, get your code books out. And if you're in the, the uh, paperback version, then you want to go to page 204. If you're in the electronic PDF version, like I am, then you're on page 207. Now, remember, at any time, you can pause these episodes. You can go back and reread something. You can reverse back and listen to something again if you didn't quite understand it. So always remember, you have the flexibility to be able to just listen. And the whole purpose here is to be able to play these recordings in your car while you're you're riding somewhere or you're on the job site, your headphones or whatever, because these episodes are always available on MasterTheNec.com. We have a player up there. Uh, Or you can actually go to our uh, Facebook page, and episodes will be posted there. Uh, You can find our Facebook page because it's Master the NEC. Just do a search from your Facebook page at the top. Search for Master space, the space, NEC, and you'll find us. And be sure to uh, uh, subscribe and uh, listen to our shows. But those are the key places that you can actually go and listen to our shows, uh but really if you want to log on to the uh, masterthenec.com that's where you'll see every episode in our player that you can listen from any type of mobile device all right let's talk about 334.30 again securing and supporting critical as an inspector i I used to go to job sites all the time and, and 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 people would try to i mean they're not necessarily i think it's because of the rush to get a job done and this is not everybody but they wouldn't follow the securing and supporting requirements to the way the code says it. And it's there for a reason. And again, this code is a minimum standard. So we want to at least adhere to the minimum standards that are, that are written in this document. So let's read it. And then we'll kind of discuss it. 334.30 is securing and supporting. It says non-metallic sheath cable shall be supported and secured. Okay. By staples, cable ties, straps, hangers, or similar fittings designed and installed so as to not damage the cable. All right, so it's really clear with staples, cable ties, straps, and hangers what we're talking about. The hangers, for example, can be secured and supported in accordance with 300.11a when we're going through a suspended ceiling in a one and two family or a multi-family dwelling. Uh, If it had a suspended or dropped ceiling, then that's permitted uh, in uh, 334.10. So that's an application where it's where it's okay so those hangers are actually supporting and securing it. Uh, Staples, everybody knows what a staple is. Uh, One unique thing is you know you can try to cram too many non-metallic sheath cables under a staple that was never designed to handle that many non-metallic sheath cables. There's longer ones and shorter ones. Be sure you know what you're doing, which ones you're doing. Don't overdrive a staple just to hold a cable in place. Remember We're just trying to keep it in place. We're not trying to embed it into the wood, okay? That's an important thing to tell your apprentices and your helpers. You're just trying to staple it just enough to barely touch the non-metallic sheet cable and you're done. It's not one of those things where you need to put that little extra hit to it with a hammer. Stay away from that. The cable ties are unique because a lot of jobs where we had a certain number of cables, as long as I didn't exceed more than about four uh, 14-2s or 4 12 twos, 12-2s, then we would try to group them together in the middle of a 2x4, and it was difficult to maintain that inch and a quarter. So what we would do is you take a tie wrap, you put it against the stud, drive a staple into the tie wrap, and hold it in place. Then you could put your cables in the center, and then you could pull the tie wrap tight, and that keeps them right there in the middle and you didn't have to worry about impacity adjustments corrections because you didn't ex- you didn't exceed uh, enough that the adjustment would have made any difference and we'll talk about that when we get to impacities but as long as you don't go you know more than about uh 4142s four or 414 uh or 3142s and 1143 or more than than 3122s and 1123 or four twelve twos, if you get what I'm saying, then you really don't have to worry about. Because even after any adjustment or corrections that you might have to take, that have to do due to the number of current carrying conductors together uh, for a certain length, uh, 24 inches, you don't have to worry about it. Because even after the adjustment, your conductors will be fine. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to 334.80 in more detail. But that was a neat way to use a cable tie in order to keep them right in the middle. Now you can get excessive with that, and you've got to be careful. But that is one way that you can do it. Um, Now, when it says similar fittings, designed and installed so as not to damage the cable, this is giving you a little bit of a uh, a leeway for the manufacturers to produce products that are very similar to Staples cable ties. They have the same intent, but they are designed to secure and support the, the cables in a manner that are not going to damage them. Uh, but it does give flexibility to the manufacturer to come up with new products and it does give some leeway to the local inspector when he determines something is designed. Uh, That's the key. It's the fittings that have to be designed and installed is not to damage the cable. So really you have to give that consideration. Now, let's talk about the actual intervals that come into securing and supporting non-metallic sheath cable now we're all probably familiar with this and that is you got to support non-metallic sheath cable every four and a half feet and the general rule is that you also secure it and which is securing and supporting within 12 inches of every outlet box junction box cabinet or fitting okay so you have to keep that in, that in mind, that you have to maintain that 12 within 12 inches of the point where it leaves the ca- junction box cabinet or whatever. Now, there are some allowances in this. For example, if you actually, if you get your code book handy, and let's go back and look at an, an allowance of this because the 12 inches is the general rule. But let's go back real quick and look at 314. And most notably, what we want to look at is 314. If you got your code book, you can always pause if you want if, if i'm getting uh too far ahead of you let's go back and look at 314.17c for a second uh so if you're on 314.17c we know that the, that that you have to uh secure it and support it within uh, 12 inches of the box but if you go back and look at a non-metallic box, for example, it says, and I'm going to read you 314.17C, I'm going to really stick to certain areas in here because I don't want to go over every area. But you'll notice that it says, one important thing is where non-metallic cable or a multi-conductor type UF cable is used, the sheathing shall shall extend not less than a quarter of an inch inside the box. That would be the same for a cabinet or what have you. It needs to extend into the box and past the cable clamp. Okay, so it has to go past the clamp that's connecting the cable to the box or, uh, or uh, uh, the non-metallic box in this example, and it has to continue on in. Now, it notice the last sentence of that uh, that part. It says, in all instances, all right, we're dealing with non-metallic boxes. It says, in all instances, All permitted wiring methods shall be secured to the boxes. Okay, so I have to secure the cable to the box. Now, when we get into the exception, let's read the exception here because this is what I'm talking about. It says where non metallic sheath cable or multi conductor type UF cable is used with a single gang box, not larger than uh, two and a quarter by four and a half, which is your normal, like a nail up box, mounted on walls and ceilings okay? And where the cable is fastened within eight inches of the box measured along the sheet. And so you saw where it had to be within 12 in the general rule. You have an allowance here for a non-metallic box. If it meets two and a quarter by four inches, a typical nail-up boxes, then the point where it goes in, you can secure it within eight inches of the back. So you have to be a little closer than the 12 because typically you're not going to have a connector there, uh, any type of gland that's there, clamp, that's going to connect it to the box itself. So I just wanted to kind of throw that one in there for you. You still have to maintain that uh, quarter of an inch sheathing has to extend into the box, okay? So just wanted to kind of govern that. So that's kind of the rule where you would do it less, you know, it'd have to be closer to the box where you secure it, the eight inches versus the 12. But the 12 is the general rule. So I just wanted to kind of give you an idea. And if you're pausing right here, go back and read uh, 314.17C and you'll see what I'm talking about with the typical nail-up box. Now, if that's a two-gang nail-up box or a a three-gang nail-up box, then you go back to the, the scenario where it has to have an internal supporting mechanism, and most of those boxes do. And so if that's the case, you have to secure within 12 inches. Alright, so let's go back to where we were at in uh, 334 and talk a little bit more about this. Alright, so now let's go on, and we're still in 334.30. It says that section, uh, cable, uh, sections of cable protected from physical damage by raceway shall not be required to be installed uh, to be secured uh, within the raceway. Well, that makes sense. So if I'm using a small piece to protect it somewhere where I've determined it's subject to physical damage, in accordance with 334.15b, and I sleeve it in a piece of EMT, for example, There's absolutely impossible for me to secure it and support it uh, because it's running inside of this sleeve that's there to protect it. And this is telling you that's okay. You don't have to do it. Okay. Again, also remember you don't you don't staple them on the flat on the uh, where the cable goes against the stud, you don't turn it on its side so the short edge is against the stud or the framing member and then you try to staple it on its edge because that will crush the insulation that's underneath on the conductors uh, and it will damage the insulation and it will could damage the conductors. So we want to always staple on the flat edge, the long flat edge of a cable. And if it's a kind that's like a 14.3 that's round, it, you, obviously it doesn't have a flat edge, a long flat edge, so you, you staple it. But again, you're not stapling to drive it home. You're just stapling it so the staple just barely touches the uh, sheathing and you're good to go. It'll do its purpose. All right, now, as you can see at this point, 334.30 is broken up into three parts here it's a part A, part B, part C. So we're going to look at each one of them and try to dissect them out a little bit all right so first of all let's look at part a it says horizontal runs through holes and notches okay so i'm going to now run non-metallic sheath cable through a horizontal holes that i've drilled or bored or any notches that might be cut in that are horizontal it says in other than vertical runs okay which are straight up and down Okay, we're talking about horizontal runs here. It says cables installed in accordance with 300.4 shall be considered to be supported and secured where such supports do not exceed 4.5 foot intervals and the non-metallic sheath cable is securely fastened in place by an approved means within 12 inches of each box, cabinet, conduit, body, or other non-metallic sheath cable termination. So basically 300.4 is going to do a lot of talking about supporting it. It's going to maintain that you at least stay an inch and a quarter away from the edge of the board hole. Okay, It's not the cable. It's the edge of the board hole or the notches you have to maintain protection by putting in a one sixteenth inch steel plate or equivalent. Uh, uh, maybe a listed equivalent in order to keep somebody from from driving a staple or, or or screws or anything like that through or nail through the actual cable you're not you have to maintain that inch and a quarter so you're installing your your when you're running a horizontal you're running it through board holes or through notches you gotta maintain that cable in the center of the framing member uh, and that's what 300.4 talks about protecting it and how you do it so that's pretty good now what this is also saying that if it's long as it's running through the framing members and your framing members are spaced, usually they're what, 16 inches on center. Then obviously you're easily meeting the the, the supporting and securing of every four and a half feet. Once you get to that final stud or framing member and you turn down to go to the junction box or to the outlet box or what have you, then you still have to maintain that securing uh, within 12 inches, okay, of that box. But other than that, if you're running them through horizontally through framing members then you're okay. It's considered secured and supported. It's not going anywhere. It's within that framing member. Just make sure that you space special attention to 300.4 and that those board holes are in the center of your framing members and you're maintaining uh, the uh, inch and a quarter clearance from the edge of the framing member to the edge of the board hole, okay? And if it's a notch, then you're going to have to put a protective plate on it as well. Okay, keeping those in mind I encourage you to go back and read 300.4 and understand it a little better because that is the protection requirements when you're going through board holes when you're going parallel with framing members and all that you need to make sure that you install the non-metallic sheet cable properly so that somebody driving a nail or somebody doing something later when they're hanging a picture they don't they just miss the stud we want to make sure that they actually can the best chance of actually missing the non-metallic sheath cable as well that's running along the side. Okay, keeping that in mind. Alright, so that was talking about horizontal runs again. And uh, again, so if I'm running it through the framing members horizontally, it's considered supported and secured as long as you have. There are no gaps in these these uh, spaces that are securely supporting it. Uh, securing it and supporting it. as long as the gaps don't exceed four and a half feet. and Usually it won't. It'll be 16 inches on center maybe 18 in some applications but well within the the four and a half intervals okay now let's go into part b we're dealing with unsupported cables so this is some applications where you have from the last securing point over to, uh, utilization equipment or over to a luminaire or over to something, or maybe something is fished between point A to point B that you not, you couldn't necessarily secure it and support it properly. Okay. You're fishing it for some reason. Now, I will tell you that in new construction, it's usually not going to be the case. You can get to it and secure it and support it in accordance with the requirements of the code. Uh, with the general requirements of 334.30. However, there are going to be some cases where you can't support the cable, and you have some allowances here. So let's look at it. It says non-metallic sheet cable shall be permitted to be unsupported where the cable, and it goes and gives you two items here that we can do. Number one, it says if it's fished between access points through concealed spaces in finished buildings... Okay. These are not under construction buildings. These are finished buildings, maybe coming back for remodeling or for, for coming back to do uh, adding a receptacle somewhere or whatnot. It's already been finished. Okay, So the fishing between access points, you might cut access points into a concealed space in the framing of the walls uh, in finished buildings or structures and supporting is impracticable means it really doesn't make sense to do it you really wouldn't add any value to do it and you couldn't get there to do it without tearing up the building's finish okay so that's what item one is and that's giving you some allowances here great for remodelers this is what they rely on when they go back and try to get into a wall because they don't want to open up the wall open up the gypsum board to try to get secure and supporting where they're simply fishing from A to B okay and that's what they're doing nothing else is going back in that space so it's not an issue Now, let's look at item two. Item two says, if not more than four and a half feet from the last point of cable support, that would be from the last point of your strap or your cable tie or what have you, the last point of support of the connection to a luminaire. So, if I can go from, let's say, from that last point to an actual luminaire, and this comes to, we talked about in part two, I believe, 300.11a, which talks about above a suspended ceiling in a one and two family or a Uh, multi-family dwelling where you could use non-metallic sheet cable above that suspended or drop ceiling and where you can't do it in a other than a residential application uh, unless it was behind a 15 minute fire rated assembly so these are talking about drop ceilings so i could go from the last independent wire support which is talked about in 300.11a down to my luminaire as long as that piece from that last support is not more than four and a half feet i'm okay so maybe I have a drop-in troffer or fluorescent, you know, luminaire that I'm dropping in the grid or whatnot. Then I can go from that last support to four and a half feet. That's what it's providing for. But it also allows for other piece of electrical equipment. And the cable, uh, it says uh, from, uh, let's go on and read it because I don't want to get mixed into the middle of it. I'll read it again because we just talked about the luminaire application. It says, if not more than four and a half feet from the last point of cable support, To the point of connection to a luminaire which we just talked about or other piece of electrical equipment and the cable and point of connection are within an accessible ceiling so the ceiling has to be accessible so the whole purpose of when i talked about the luminaire was within a dropped or suspended ceiling okay it was the whole purpose of that now the key here is has to be an accessible ceiling. If not, you still got your securing and supporting requirements that you have to deal with, okay, that you're going to have in the general rule of 334.30. But this is giving you some leeway in an accessible ceiling. It might be another piece of equipment that you need to, 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 to go from the last point of support over to maybe up to 4.5 feet. Uh, then that would give you that leeway to be able to do that. Alright, so that was fairly simple. That gives you the allowance for when you can run it unsupported. Other than that, it has to do what? Follow the surface of the building, has to be secure and supported in accordance with 334.30. This is giving you some allowances when it can be unsupported. Now, you have to really look at your installation and determine whether or not you can meet these requirements right here. If not, you're going to secure and support it in accordance with the general rules of 334.30. All right, next we're gonna look at wiring devices without a separate outlet box. So this would be some type of device that doesn't need a separate outlet box that has internal uh, ability to take that cable into it and secure it. Uh, So it might be for a specific type of luminaire. It might be something for a specific type of uh, device that's mounted in it, that's going to be put in the wall, and it has its own internal securing system to it. But let's read what it says. It says a wiring device that is identified for the use, so we know what it's going to be used for. In fact, it's listing is going to be, uh, it's, it's, it's actually identified for the specific intent, and it's identified without a separate outlet box needed, and it incorporates an internal cable clamp, shall be permitted where the cable is secured in place at intervals not exceeding the normal four and a half feet and within 12 inches of the device in the wall opening and there shall be at least 12 inches of a loop of unbroken cable so you got to give yourself the 12 inches there for this device for servicing be able to pull it in and out this opening and there shall be at least 12 inches loop of unbroken or or six inches of a cable end available on the interior side of the finished wall to permit replacement so as long as you can meet these requirements here then it's saying look I can run it leave myself 12 inches of loop or I give myself 6 inches of cable at the end that's available on the interior side of the finished wall to permit a replacement so I have to have the ability to replace the the actual device it gives me that flexibility to, to be able to do that okay so that's what this one is talking about alright so that that kinda ends up on our uh, uh, 334.30 so we're gonna go on at this point and move on into uh, 334.40 dealing with boxes and fittings now 334.40 is talking about boxes and fittings so A says boxes of insulating material so it's talking about non-metallic outlet boxes shall be permitted as provided by 314.3 okay so we have the uh, non-metallic outlet boxes can be used with uh, meta- non-metallic sheath cable it says then we go on to B it says B devices of insulating material it says self-contained switches self-contained receptacles and non-metallic sheath cable interconnector devices of insulating material that are listed shall be permitted to be used without boxes in exposed cable uh, wiring and for repair wiring in existing buildings where the cable is concealed. All right so basically what I'm going to talk about is the is something that's determined it's called the non-metallic sheath cable interconnector device. Now basically this is a device for repair only as it says in the code Uh, And there is some grayed out areas in here. So there is a change between the 2011 and 2014 code here by talking about self-contained switches and these non-metallic cable interconnectors. Now, basically, any person that's out there who's done some work in a modular home, you get a modular home is shipped to a location, it's put in the location, and it clicks together with these these connectors that actually connect the non-metallic sheath cable together. Now, they actually click together and they don't come apart. Okay. They independently hold the, the non-metallic sheath cable in place through a weaving type of mechanism, and they actually terminate on each conductor of that cable. And it secures it, it goes inside the wall, and it doesn't come loose. Now, this is acceptable. Now, some people say, well, what are these things? Are they junction boxes? No, it's a connector. It interconnects the two pieces of non-metallic sheath cable. They go together they're designed to go in the wall it's great for repair work you can't use it in new work it's only for repair work that is done in a concealed wall now let me give you an example where uh, this, would, this might be a very beneficial product um, you're all probably familiar with, with NEMA National Electrical Manufacturers Association they put out a document that says uh, evaluating electrical equipment that has been subject to water damage Um, So let's say you have a flooded environment where the basement floods on somebody's house, and it goes up about three feet. Well, obviously everything underneath there that that three foot level and down has got to be replaced. Alright, you, you you would reference the guide and it'll talk to you about what's gotta be replaced and what doesn't when you can call the manufacturer for reconditioning. But I'm gonna tell you in a normal residential application, if you get three foot of water up, usually your receptacles in, in the boxes and everything else is down about 16 to 18 inches. Okay, so all of that material's gotta be replaced. The boxes, the receptacles, the non-metallic sheath cable, it's all got to be replaced. Even yes, even the boxes. Now what about if I go up five feet up and I were to cut that non metallic sheath cable that's going up the sides of the walls? And I noticed that upon examination that water has not penetrated up any higher. It hasn't wicked up more than about uh, six to seven inches above the, the water line. And so I'm cutting it up about five and a half feet or so. Now, this, this NM cable is perfectly fine. So these devices, it would be a repair situation where I would rewire the lower portion. And then I would use one of these devices in the wall to connect the existing upper portion with the lower portion. That way, I would not have to rewire the entire space. So that's a beautiful application of these products. And some people say, well, I don't wanna close that up into a wall. And I say, look, once that thing clicks together, it's been listed for this application. It is fine. It's gonna hold together, okay? Now here's the caveat and I'm gonna read it so that you understand how these things work. But that is an existing building. That is a concealed location that you're, you're trying to open it up in order to be able to make this repair. This is a repair condition. Okay. The other ones, self-contained switches and self-contained receptacles, are self-evident. But I thought it was more important that I talk about these, these cable interconnector devices because people have seen them. It looks like a big data click where you click the two together, but they're not going to come apart. But let me read this to you. It says, the openings in such devices shall form a close fit around the outer covering, and they do, of the cable, and the device shall be fully enclosed as part of the cable from which any part of the cover has been removed. So it's actually going to enclose the cable as you cut it to be able to make these connections. It says, where connections of conductors are by binding screw terminal, they shall be available Uh, for as many terminals as conductors, and that's exactly how they're designed. If you had a 14-2, then you're going to have two hots, a hot and a neutral and an equipment ground, so you're going to have the three terminals for that, and you buy these based on your need. You can get a four conductor uh, connector, you can get a three conductor, you can get some that actually allow you to bring in uh three fourteen twos for example, or 312 uh, twos into one device, but you're going to have this, the specific amount of terminals as you have conductors, and they bind down on it, the, the the actual device clicks together, and it actually will not come apart, and once you put it in the wall, it is in place, it is not a junction box, okay, it is a device, and it does, and it can be concealed back into the wall, okay. So that's something that you, 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 if you haven't seen them before, just just go on Google and Google them. They're called non-metallic sheet cable interconnector devices. And you can see them, read about them, and they are not for new work. They're not to repair damaged cable during a rough-in. And you say, oh man, I don't want to pull a new piece of cable because I damaged it. That's not what they're for. They're only for repair work in an existing building. Now we won't get into an argument about existing building, but I will tell you, my opinion is a building is not existing until after it's been issued a CO. So that means you're going to have to repair it in the rough end stage. You can't use a product like this for that. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. All right, now let's go on to item C. And uh, uh, well, part C, excuse me. It says devices with integral enclosures. It says wiring devices with integral enclosures identified for such use shall be permitted to, uh, as provided. Uh, by 300.15E. Alright, so these are devices with integral enclosures that are built into them. Maybe a, a piece of equipment with an integral enclosure. It's going to actually have a securing uh, requ- uh, component in it. Uh, but it could be a part of a luminaire enclosure that's in part with parts to a luminaire or something. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. So let's go to 300.15E and see, because it says it shall be permitted as provided by 300.15E. So let's go on and look at it. And I'm going. If you can pause me at any time, but I'm doing it in real time. Let's go look at 315E. And let's see here. Okay, it says integral enclosures. Integral enclosures is a wiring device with integral enclosures identified for the use, having brackets that securely fasten the device to the wall or ceiling of conventional on-site framing construction or for use in non-metallic sheath cable shall be permitted in lieu of a box or conduit body. So this is kind of what these these interconnected devices are. So you're getting a bunch of things in the code that's saying, hey, these are designed this way for use. But more specifically, if I have some piece of uh, a device that's being used and I have an integral enclosure that's built for the for the actual enclosure, that that's acceptable. I don't need a separate box. It has it built into the enclosure, and that's what this is saying. It's perfectly acceptable. I don't have to put in a separate box under 314. I can use the box or the the part of the enclosure that's integral to this piece of equipment. That's what it's basically saying, all right, without getting too, you know, in detail with that. Alright, so guys, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stop for this segment, part three here, uh, because the next one we're going to deal with is there's a little more detail, uh, and we want to make sure that we have you know adequate time to talk about it. If anything I've talked about today, you don't understand, or I was too brief and really didn't go into a lot of detail that you wanted. Let me know and we'll go over each independent component uh, of of what you want uh, in a future episode or you can email me and I will answer your questions. But the next episode, part four, we're going to deal with ampacity, 334.80 dealing with the ampacity of conductors uh, when it deals with non-metallic sheet cable and the little nuances and installations that are involved in that. So that's going to be a series all to itself in part four. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at Don't forget to visit our Facebook page. Just go on your Facebook page and then search for Master the NEC. And you can listen to our shows there or follow us or answer questions, uh, put questions on Facebook. Uh, but you can also visit us at masterthenec.com. Uh, And we're more than happy to uh, email us from there. And that's where you can also listen to our shows and link you to Spreaker, where all these shows are broadcast uh, for you to listen to. Thanks again for listening. God bless. And we'll talk to you uh, later.